The Athletic. Jude Bellingham's Real Madrid aren't the only team upstaging the mighty Barcelona this season. Sevilla with a cross. Stuani can win it. Stuani's won it. It's 4-2 to Girona. The Catalans are nine points behind league leaders Girona. And worryingly, the goals have dried up for star striker Robert Lewandowski. So, is Xavi on borrowed time in the dugout? And why is Barcelona president Jean Laporta interfering in squad selection? Well, let's find out. I'm Ayoakim Walero. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Okay, so on this Tuesday, I'm joined by the Athletics Barcelona correspondent, Paul Belus, for this one. Paul, let's talk Barcelona. You know, without a win in their last three matches across all competitions. And you wrote about this, actually, saying the Valencia game would be quite an interesting one, especially where Xavi is concerned. It ended 1-1 over the weekend. What's the mood like in the club right now? I think that as soon as, like, with all the public statements that Laporta did after the Champions League game against Antwerp, you could sense that Barcelona wants to try to stick with Xavi. Uh, but yeah, that draw, it simply just makes things not better. Just the atmosphere is tense because Barcelona is not getting results, but above all, they are not playing well, which was like the big assignment that they had for this season. Uh, because last season was a successful one. Uh, they won the first La Liga title in four years, which was a big accomplishment uh, for the club. But they didn't play outstanding football. Uh, I would say that that the key of, the, of their success last season was a great defensive line, but they needed a bit of a spark up front. That's why they signed Joe Felix and Joe Cancelo this season, basically. And one of the sort of promises or like one of the words that Xavi gave to the board was that he was going to try to give like a new dimension to the offensive end of the pitch. And he hasn't been able to accomplish that, to be honest. Barcelona is not playing good on the attacking production and they've lost like this cutting edge on the defensive end because they have conceded a lot of goals. Um, so that's basically like the main reason that launched all the problems and all the tension around the Barcelona atmosphere, which is always complex, as we all know. Yeah, I guess it doesn't help that your Catalan neighbours, the, the smaller team, Girona. I mean, come on, what a story. Barcelona are currently, what, nine points behind uh, Girona. When they played Girona, I, I feel like Girona played more like Barcelona than Barcelona did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that there was a point with Girona that they basically put Barcelona in front of a mirror. Like, Girona were playing like in the way that Barcelona fans would expect their team to play. And it's it's funny that that now you mention like it that it doesn't help like how how Girona beat them. Actually, if you ask me like which defeat was more more painful this season, like and if we compare Girona and Real Madrid, I'm not going to say that that the Girona loss was really like extremely more painful than than the classical one. But I think that they are on the same level, like by the sort of damage that they did in the club's structure. There was Xavi speaking after the Girona game, saying that he thought that they played well against Girona. Those boards even came down like really, really well with all the board. But the board was like, the feeling in there was like, we have just been beaten by a team who played actual football, really played football. And that was painful to see, especially in a club that not long ago was like, like the small cousin of Barcelona. Um, a club that was really far away from Barcelona, that couldn't even like dream to compete with Barcelona, that most of their fans are Barcelona fans too. So it was painful to watch. And I'd say that these two games that I've just mentioned, the Real Madrid game and the Girona game, 
those are two games that have dictated the mood around the club. Because if you can remember, after the, that classical game, we saw those words from Ilkay Gundogan uh, criticizing like the spirit within like the wanted more room. passion, more fight, didn't he? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That he wanted to see more more angry players in that dressing room. And after that Girona game, I think that we we didn't saw this sort of like public statements, but inside the club and how it went down within the executive board and because of Xavi's words and because of the position that Barcelona are in La Liga now, because after that game, there were seven points behind Girona, but now they are nine points behind Girona. Uh, because of that, it has affected like in the mood and in the in the atmosphere, basically. And it I think it played a big part on, on the result in Antwerp and on the result in Valencia, of course, as well. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about uh, Girona. I, I think we, we we did the numbers here. What They've never signed a player for over 7.5 million euros. Uh, the, the, you know, the starting 11 players are largely, I mean, sort of players in the hinterlands of other of, of, of spaces. It makes me think about our sort of, uh, we did a series a few weeks ago, Clubs in Crisis. We talk about, we look at how certain clubs are run and where they are right now. And it, it, it just, it makes me think of the situation we have with the Premier League. Now in Spain, sometimes it's not the money, it's not the prestige. You just need to run the club very well. And this is the result of that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, this is the result of how the board and the project has been run. At the same time, like, there's a matter of like of luck and like of everything falling in the right exact place. Because now, I mean, if I'm honest, I don't think that they are going to fall down the top four in La Liga. I think it's almost, it's really difficult. It's really difficult. I saw them last night and like they are playing like with the confidence, with the sort of like, this sort of mood that just everything goes in the right way for you. If you look at the Girona team, it's sort of a joke to see like Dave Lin, who hasn't played, like who didn't play for Bayern last season, and now uh, he's probably one of the best centre back in La Liga. Same case with Eric Garcia. Eric Garcia is playing outstanding, and he was Barcelona fifth centre back this season. So yeah, there's there's a lot of cases like this with Girona, and that's what what makes um, the whole issue more painful for for Barcelona because Girona with four players that. I'm not, I'm not going to say that they are not good, but they were deemed to not be that good at playing way better than than Barcelona, who can afford like better players, better salaries, and a better squad overall. So yeah, basically, this thing about like how Girona is like optimizing uh, their resources is just making it more painful in Barcelona. I managed to watch a little bit of the, the Girona uh, match with Barcelona. And uh, obviously, I guess some of the criticisms that Xavi has faced is that that the style of football hasn't necessarily uh, been Barcelona-esque, you know, very pragmatic. I saw them in the Europa League a couple of seasons ago. It not doesn't have the va-va-voom, you know, like as, as we look for. But there were elements of that in that Girona match. The flicks, the, the hits, I mean, the goals were actually quite good. Rafinha, I saw, was playing high press on that... In that game, so the ingredients are there, but it's not. I feel like Barcelona just create lots of chances, but just aren't burying it. I actually think that the Girona game wasn't the worst game that Barcelona has played this season. On the ball, Barcelona were like decent. Like you could see some positive on the ball. Off the ball, they were like bad. But you, you you could see that the high pressure wasn't up to the levels that that the game against the league leaders required. But yeah, I think. I honestly think that Barcelona has a better squad than last season. Um, they've lost Sergio Busquets, which I'm, he's one of my favorite players. How, how do you replace a player like that? Though? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's one of my favorite players ever. Um, and it's tough to like replace a holding midfielder who is like so suited to play at the Barcelona style. But you've added like players such as Gundogan, such as Cancelo, um, Joao Felix as well. But 
yeah, I have the feeling that Xavi has not been able to put them together to assemble a team. Um, right now, Barcelona looks more like a team of 11 players playing rather than a rather than a squad. And that's a problem. And, and, and that's a consequence, in my opinion, like of tension in like a lot of levels. Like it starts like on the pitch and not finding a way to deliver on the pitch, seeing Lewandowski struggling to score goals, a defensive line conceding more goals than the ones that you expected last season. The move at Barcelona, to to read it, you have to go through all the departments in the club, going to like to what the dressing room feels, what the coaching stuff, what the coaching staff feels, and what the executive and the sporting direction feels. Because all of them, all of them, they talk to people around them. They all talk. And it all creates like this atmosphere, this entorno, how we call here, which at the end of the day, like, yeah, um, it can have an effect on what happens on the pitch. I think actually it's one of the things that has surprised Kundogan the most. I think that he said that on, a, on an interview after after the Atletico game, I think, Atletico de Madrid, he said that the, diffic- that the most difficult thing for him just to settle down here is to learn that everything that he says has an impact on this team and that he has to be really careful with his words more than he's been in his whole career. I'm just thinking about what you were just saying about, uh, I guess, uh, the, the board feeling a bit nervous about some of, of Xavi's decisions. I mean, Laporte, <laughs> it's, you, you, you reported it. Had a hand in team selection recently. I mean, what does that do to the dynamic of of the power structure? You've got the players thinking the manager's in charge, and then the big guy upstairs is saying, "Actually, no, I'm going to overrule the manager, and you're playing, you're playing." But actually, you were supposed to be having a day off. I mean, that's kind of a bit mad. Yeah, yeah, this is not great. And and the one that was left in the worst condition was Xavi here because his authority now is like in a place that the manager doesn't want to have it, basically. So the story here, I mean, this was a consequence of the of the Girona game. Uh, as I was saying, uh, the executive board with Laporte in charge were like really affected by this loss, by the impact on the table, but by how it was produced. And then just the very next day, Xavi announced and Xavi planned uh, to give a rest to, to some of his key players, which includes Frankie de Jong, Ilkay Gundogan, Robert Lewandowski, and Ronald Araujo. After that decision, Barcelona board were like not happy with how the last week had been conducted with Barcelona. Uh, they felt that Barcelona had a full week to train. Xavi gave their players two two days off ahead of a key game against Girona. Then on Thursday, they it was not like a massively important thing, but it was a detail that fired up the spirit in like the executive board that they were not particularly happy about that. But on Thursday afternoon, after training. Chavi set up like a team building activity and brought the whole team to go karting, basically. And this was the thing that after the journal loss, like sources in the executive board were saying, okay, we have enough of like chit chat and partying. We have to go all there to Belgium because we have to win that game. Because above all that, there's like a money prize in there, which is valued like in around 3 million euros, which is a lot for us right now. And we just don't want to afford like to take things for granted. It's a moment to be united. And we're going to tell Chavi that we have to bring all the team in there. Yeah, and as you were saying, it's not it's not a great look. It is not a great move to leave Xavi's position like in a safer place. And I think that that partly that is the reason why Laporta, after that game, when he spoke on media, he tried to emphasize how he wouldn't fire Xavi after the Valencia game because he felt that Xavi needed some more protection after what he did. And yeah, basically that's that's the politics that are going on in Barcelona. Just in a meaningless game, if you want to call it that way, against Antwerp, where Barcelona was basically top of the group already. They they needed to lose like a seven-goal difference in the Champions League. It became like a whole disaster of a trip. Yeah, but for me, doesn't that just scream of a nerviness about 
this all come crumbling down. I mean, it, it all rests on Laporta's head, doesn't it? He, he's taken this incredible gamble, financing various parts of the club, refinancing various parts of the club. I mean, this is this just shows, if not on Xavi, Laporte is feeling the pressure as well. They've put a lot of trust in Xavi. They've they've given Xavi like powers to decide which players to bring in in a in a time where Barcelona has basically, as you were saying, has basically put up to stake some of the assets of the club. They sold future assets of the club just to have a better squad now. The fact that Xavi is not performing as some wanted is also like tough to watch for them. Um, and it's making them feel, okay, did we make the right move? Uh, having said that, I think that their stance and their position will be try to stick with Xavi until the end of the season, like by all means, unless it's like unsustainable or it's becoming worse and worse. And like, uh, like the dressing room keeps being like more and more detached from the manager and there's nothing to be done there. I think that Barcelona will try to um, hold on Xavi until summer and then make a football assessment on, on summer. Have you performed on the pitch? Is everything going as we expected? Uh, and then we make a decision. I think right now, this is the plan that uh, we are told that, that Barcelona have in mind. Let's see what happens because like Barcelona doesn't tend to follow plans. So let's see what happens in the coming weeks and months. Well, I tell you what, they're going to have to get their plans together because with their league form faltering, much emphasis will now be placed on Barca's Champions League run. They've just drawn reigning Serie A champions Napoli in the round of 16. Our Italian football writer, James Horncastle, gave us the lowdown on Napoli and how they are feeling about the tie on Tuesday's episode of the Totally Football Show. Napoli certainly seem to be reviving at uh, this moment in time. That might seem strange when you look at their results over the last month, but they've had a really difficult start fixture-wise under Mazzari playing the likes of Atalanta, Real Madrid, Juventus and Inter. So things are going to get softer now. And you can see that the, the team is picking up confidence. It's maybe not going to play as well as it did and hit the same heights as it did on the Spalletti. But certainly I think they'll fancy themselves against, uh, against Barcelona. Paul, that is a tough draw, isn't it? That's, that's going to be a tough test. At the same time, I think that it could have been worse for Barcelona. And I think that most of the people in Barcelona would think, OK, I mean, it's not great. But at the end, we have like the chance of facing like a team in the knockout stages in which we have a solid option to go through. That was something that was, that was difficult if you are paired like with Inter Milan or with PSG Barcelona with would have struggled more, I believe. Uh, but yeah, no, it's going to be it, it's going to be a tough test. And as you were saying, like a lot of hopes and a lot of expectation for this season now go through like performing in the Champions League. Barcelona has a huge trauma with this competition, with what what has happened in the past years. Like the fans feel that they have been like really far away from the from they were want to be. Basically, we're just competing against the best teams in Europe. They've had like traumatic losses in the last five years, I would say, and they want to prove themselves that they can be up there uh, at some point again. So this can be like a way for Xavi to amend some of the bad feelings that he's had at the start of the season. Uh, but at the same time, I, I don't think that anyone at Barcelona thinks right now that they have a realistic chance to, let's say, make it to the final. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Ayo Akinwalere. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com 
slash courtside to learn more. Well, if Barcelona are going to stand any chance in the Champions League, they're going to need their striker, Robert Lewandowski, firing. He has come under fire of late as he struggled to replicate his fine form of last season. So is the 35-year-old the problem at Barca or can a lack of service to him be blamed? Here to do some myth-busting for us is the Athletic senior football writer, John Muller. Is Robert Lewandowski the problem with Barcelona? I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably not. The biggest argument against Lewandowski right now is just that he's not scoring that much, which is true. He only has six non-penalty goals so far this season for Barca. When he's not scoring, Barca are dropping points. This is bad. Everybody's concerned. On the other hand, he's getting non-penalty expected goals at about the same rate as last season when he won the Pichichi. However, I think there's some other issues with, with Lewandowski. I mean, number one, he's, he's just the team's most visible player, most famous player. Uh, they spent a lot of money to bring him in, even though he was in his 30s. Now there's concern, look, he's 35 years old, and at some point, you know, he's probably going to decline. But I think we're not really seeing that in the numbers. What we are seeing, both in the data and on the pitch, is just that he's not getting involved as much as, as he would like to. And the problem for Barcelona right now is just that their their midfield has been missing a lot of people. So Lewandowski isn't necessarily getting quite as much service as he would like. Right now, the, the key is to figure out how they're going to get him service uh, in the box so that he can keep getting these good chances and eventually return to his scoring form. I'm just trying to zoom out of the whole Lewandowski situation. Obviously, what, 33 goals across all competitions last season. I mean, what do we expect from a a 35-year-old striker? Are we expecting the same guy we saw at Bayern Munich? Or his stats are gradually going to get worse, surely? Yeah, but with the contract that Barcelona gave him, I'm sure that the executive board expected better results. I'm I'm not blaming Lewandowski here, but like Barcelona made like a huge gamble on him, offering like him a three-year contract, maybe a fourth-year contract, depending on on the performances next season. Yeah, to a player that was getting old, basically. And now I think that he's a sort of reflection of like what the whole team is, yeah, which is a team that is not like assembled like in the most smooth way. And I think that he pays he, he pays a price here because he's not the smoothest player in the world. He needs like good service, like to be scoring goal to 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 keep scoring chances. Um, and Barcelona right now is not that perfect team that has the machine ticking and that can serve him with the sort of opportunities that he needs to keep up, like with his levels of goal scoring. Having said that, um, I think that he's like really out of form, really out of form. That he's sort of anxious when he plays. You could see him that even like when he tries to link up with the midfielders and stuff like that. He's not, yeah, yeah, he's not feeling it. He's not feeling it. Um, I think that it all started since the end of the World Cup. After the World Cup, uh, he came back in not in a great form and he hasn't really found his place since then. He has struggled like to score in the same frequency that he used to do before that. And now it's time to see. It's time to see how it evolves. Um, yeah, there's like some doubt around, even like some people inside the club or like around around it uh, as well, like to see if Lewandowski is the sort of forward that they need right now. And I think that partly this is the reason why uh, Barcelona d- decided to bring in Victor Roque in January with the money that Gabi is is living, basically, because Barcelona are going to use part of uh, the salary of Gabi to inscribe Victor Roque. This is a rule that, that La Liga has and that allows teams just to just to replace long-term injuries because otherwise Barcelona would, would have it difficult to register like a new player. 
but they are using Gabby's money to register like a forward, which like in a normal world, you would think, okay, you have lost Gabby. You're going to sign a new midfielder. You want a midfielder, right? I mean, that's such a big blow. Yeah, yeah. So no, 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 no. They're going for Vitor Roque. They're going to put Vitor Roque in because they feel that he's just like 18. They want to they they want him to start getting used to life in Europe, to start learning from, from, from Lewandowski, to play his first game for the club without the pressure of being the starting number nine. Um, and that tells you a lot, I think, at the end of the day of like how some people at the club envision the footer of Robert Lewandowski. Um, so let's see what happens. But yeah, like if you if we speak about the short term, I don't see Barcelona having good results this season if they don't get a better version of Robert Lewandowski. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolev. Let's move on to, to this. And our producer Adonis yesterday, and he was saying, you know, if, if, if someone could take over Xavi, if he does leave Barcelona, who would they even pick? And I was saying, look, I mean, there's a few Spanish coaches right now who are literally at the top of their game. Unai Emery, uh, Arteta, Xavi Alonso. I mean, the list goes on. Lepotegu to a certain degree. And the, and one thing links all of them. They're all from the Basque region, San Sebastian in particular. And I didn't realise just this talent factory that is coming out of San Sebastian. I mean, this is insane. I mean, look at Unai Emery, what he's doing right now. Look at Mikel Arteta, what he's doing right now. Could we see a time where Mikel Arteta potentially comes back to Barcelona and uh, ha- has a little go? I think that Mikel Arteta has everything to be there. Has everything. What what Barcelona doesn't have probably is like the is like the money and the financial resources, like to afford a big change of manager with like with all this with all what this move can involve. Like, and I mean, like I don't know, a potential payout to the current club and a big salary. I don't know that Barcelona like is in a position to afford like the best manager in the world right now. Um, so that's a starting point in here. Um, and I think that when Barcelona and when you ask around the club about like rumors about the potential like yeah about the succession list that they have, there there are not many names in there. There there are not many names because well, Xavi extended his contract this season. He has a contract until two thousand twenty five, extendable one one more year. Um, and I don't think that they have really thought about like changing the manager and like affording like the cost that it would involve. If you ask now around the club, the main name that they put on the list for you is Rafa Marquez, the former Barcelona player who is the second team uh, manager right now. Um, he's really close to Laporte and really close to Deco. And they see in Rafa Marquez uh, a man of the club, um, a man that could like fulfill and understand the situation that the club is going through. Um, and with that, like manage like uh, like yeah, just like a football team in the most reasonable way possible. But yeah, I mean, the key point here is that Barcelona right now are not in a position to get the best manager possible in the world. Mm. Back to what I was talking about, you know, that that, that talent factory from San Sebastian. And Dermot Corrigan wrote uh, an article on it. What, what is so special about that region? Yeah, yeah. But it's a place where like football teams are really embedded with their cities, like really embedded. That, there's a feeling of like belonging with Athletic Bilbao, with, with Real Sociedad which is crazy to see. I mean, I just recommend you, if you have the chance to go to Spain, to watch like a football game in there. And I think that this plays a big part of this. Like, it's one of the few places in in 
in Spain were probably like like the young kids. They dream with playing for Athletic Bilbao or Real Sociedad, not Barcelona or Real Madrid, which is a more common thing here in Spain. Um, and yeah, uh, I think that it probably creates a culture and it have collided now all with this momentum, like with all these managers coming through. I think if I'm not wrong, that it's like the area in Spain with more uh, professional players in La Liga. Wow. I, I mean, it's partly because like the whole squad of Athletic Bilbao is like Basque because of the identity of the club. So and They don't bring players in unless they're Basque, right? That was the, the connection. Yeah, 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 yeah. They don't have another choice. So apart from that, like it tells you a lot. Like there's a lot of Basque players and Basque like tacticians in this industry for sure. In Spain, is there a, a, a personality or an attitude synonymous to people from the Basque country that you can see that has helped managers like, uh, you know, Arteta, Xabi Alonso, Emery succeed at the, at the highest level? They, I mean, if you imagine like the Basque player, you imagine like a tough guy, like a really tough guy um, who is not afraid because like, like the Basque country is one of the areas where it's more rainy, more cloudy, more cold probably in Spain. So they're not afraid like to play in bad conditions. They're like, tough guys. Um, so you would imagine that. But like with the evolution of football, I guess that we've seen like a lot of like more technical players than that. But if you look like at the background and Johan Cruyff at Barcelona, he wanted to sign like Basque players like in a really mad way. He signed like Zubi Zarreta, he signed Chiqui Begirstein, Koikochea, Baquero. Like a lot of the players that won the first Champions League title for Barcelona were Basque because Johan Cruyff felt that they had something special. Thanks so much for your time, Paul. Really appreciate your time. And please remember, a one-year subscription is still at the special discounted price of just $19.99. That's both dollars and pounds. Simply head over to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic.